Thank you. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Hosea, chapter 6. We're going through the book of Hosea, and man, I, I am loving the privilege of looking at the book of Hosea. Um, I want to mention a couple of things. Uh, next, next Sunday, after each of the services, we're going to have a reception for Bryson and Sarah McGuire. Bryson has been our student pastor here, and he's going to start a church in Denver. We're the sending church to this church in Denver. And so if you'd like to just, you know, after each service in the I don't remember the room number, but it's right across, right to my left, the hallway here by the worship center. Um, if you'd like to just let them know after each service, you're praying for them, and if you want to bless them in some way, that's always good to do. And uh, we're going to pray for the McGuire's. And uh, a week from tomorrow, something starts. Do you know what it is? I don't know. Like, I don't want response normally, but this time, Vacation Bible School. That's right. Vacation Bible School starts a week from tomorrow. And we love Bible school. What a great privilege it is. If you, you can register your children, you can, uh, you can do that online in advance. It just saves a little, you can do it on, the, on that day, of course. It saves a little time and helps it make it a little easier for us if you register in advance. But tell some other people about Vacation Bible School. If you're open to helping, if you'd like to help, and if you teenagers or adults, you can stop at the, uh, out in the atrium right behind you. Uh, there's a table with, about Vacation Bible School. They'll answer any questions or help you to find out how you can help if you wish to. And thank you for so many of you who are helping with Bible School. How many of you here, uh, teenagers or adults, are helping with Vacation Bible School? Will you raise your hands in the air if you're helping with Bible School? Thank you. Do it now because you can't raise your hand next week. You'll be too tired to you know, get it the next after Bible School starts. God bless you. We are thankful for you, and we're praying God will use this. You know there are kids who would come to Bible School if they got an invitation from somebody like you, maybe someone in your neighborhood or a lot of people don't know about Bible school. I don't know if you know this, but things have been a little different for the last couple of years. <laughs> Were you aware of that? And, and so just knowing about Bible school, I love that we can teach boys and girls about God, about, God, about God's word. And so um, I commend it to you. Well, let's open our Bibles to Hosea chapter six. You may remember the story of Hosea, a prophet, from God. And God said to Hosea, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find a wife of promiscuity, and then you'll have children of promiscuity. And Hosea um, must have said, what? Yeah, that's what I want you to do. And that's what Hosea did. And he married a woman named Gomer, and she was a wife of promiscuity and had children of promiscuity. And so sometimes she was there, sometimes she wasn't. And, and we're going to pick up the story now in chapter 6. Would you follow along, open your Bibles, follow along. We're going to read this chapter. The Bible says, come, let's return to the Lord. For he has torn us and he will heal us. He has wounded us and he will bind up our wounds. He will revive us after two days. And on the third day, he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. Let's strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. What am I going to do with you, Ephraim? What am I going to do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist and like the early dew that vanishes. This is why I have used the prophets to cut them down. I've killed them with the words from my mouth. My judgment strikes like lightning. For I desire faithful love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But they, like Adam, have violated the covenant. There they have betrayed me. Gilead is a city of evildoers tracked with bloody footprints. Like raiders who wait in ambush for someone, a band of priests murders on the road to Shechem. They commit atrocities. I've seen something horrible in the house of Israel. 
Ephraim's promiscuity is there. Israel is defiled. A harvest is also appointed for you, Judah, when I restore the fortunes of my people. Well, let's, let's note some things from this text. We're going to talk about returning to the land. And I've got two principles I'd like you to note. And if you're a note taker, in fact, if you're not, maybe today, maybe today you do that. Write these two simple principles down. And uh, God gave this book of the Bible for Hosea, for Gomer, for Israel, for Judah, and for FBCO, and for you and for me. So let's note a couple of principles here. Number one, God invites us to return. The Bible says, come, let's return to the Lord. God invites us to return. That's God's invitation to us. God wants us to return to him. And like Gomer, Gomer was in and out of the house of of, uh, Hosea. And God invites us to return, to come back to him. God wants us to come back to him. Come, let's return to the Lord, the Bible says here in verse 1. I remember I had not been away from home very much when I uh, went off to college. And my parents drove me up to Chicagoland where I uh, went to school and they left me there all by myself. I mean, you know, stu- other students and stuff, of course, but I mean, they went on. They drove off and I uh, saw just like, it looked like a little gleam of joy in their heart as they drove off, you know, and I waved at them and, and because of the circumstances I was in, I knew I wouldn't see them for a long time and I was... Um, I mean, I've made friends, and I, I met some good, godly Christian friends who have stayed friends for a lifetime. and so thankful for that. But, it, man, I didn't get to come back home again until Thanksgiving. And my parents drove back up and picked me up and drove me back home. And I was so glad to see them and so glad to see my brothers, sort of, you know. And um, delighted to see Vicky, especially. We started dating in high school, so especially delighted to see Vicky. And, man, I, I could come home. I could come home. And God in heaven invites us to come home. If you've drifted, maybe you've just drifted from God. You didn't even, it wasn't that you did something. You just didn't do, thing, you just didn't do anything. And you just drifted from God. And there was a time when you were close to God and you cared deeply about obeying God and what God wanted. And you just drifted over time from God. It happens easily. It's not like the world is saying to you, hey, you know what? You ought to, you got to really follow God. It's not like our culture is saying to you, hey, uh, I was wondering if you've really been, have you been obeying God? You know, I'm just wondering if you're doing the things the Bible teaches and following. That's not our culture. It's easy to drift from God. And God says you can come home. Or maybe you just run from God. I mean, you won't be the first person who's ever run from God. Maybe that's you, you just run from God. And you've just gone your own way and ignored God, fought against God, argued with God. I know what you say, God, but. And God just reminding you, you can come home. Come, let's return to the Lord. So let's note, let's note what the Bible says here about how we can return to the Lord. Would you note first that God heals? In verse 1, God just, I love this. Come, let's return to the Lord, for he has torn us, and he will heal us. He has wounded us, and he will bind up our wounds. But it just note this, God disciplines and God heals. So God wounds us and yet binds up those wounds. He tears us and yet he heals us. That is God allows, sometimes God allows us just to go down the path. You, you want to go down that road. I warn you about the dangers. I, I remind you of the better plan. I tell you what's at the end of that path. But eventually he just says, all right. 
If you want to ignore me, all right. And you find yourself torn, and God says, all right, I, but I can heal. Or God's discipline is a means by which we're wounded. But he also binds up our wounds. And some of you come to this place with some wounds in your life, either from your own choices or just the circumstances of life, just living in a broken, fallen world, and you come with, you're torn and God heals and you're wounded and God binds up our wounds. I'm thankful for a God who does that. Some of you brought the pain of your past. You've just had some, just some junk in your past and you've never, you've never dealt with it in a healthy way and you've never healed from the wounds, either your own choices or harm that came to you. And you've stayed a victim forever. And God reminds you, I, listen, I'm the God who heals. And I bind up the wounds. In, I was reading a history book, as I want to do, and I was reading this book by Stephen Ambrose on the World War II, and he said something that just caught my attention. He said, the safe, statistically speaking, the safest place for a 19, 20, 21-year-old young man, the safest place for them to be during that World War II era statistically speaking, in all the world was to be a POW in an American camp. It wasn't to be in some of the other countries did not treat their POWs very well, but Americans often, in fact, many of the early POWs were brought to the United States, often somewhere in the Midwest, and um, they got food and medical care and were protected it's statistically speaking, the safest place to be in all the world at that time. Some of them even stayed, got special permission to stay in the United States after the, war, after the war was over. The very country that was fighting against them was the country that was healing them. The very country that was fighting against them was the country that was willing to bind up their wounds. And God in heaven, who brings judgment or who allows us to face the consequences of our own choices, is the very God who heals and binds up our wounds. And so whatever wound you brought to this place, I want to remind you that God heals. You can come back to God, wounds and all, scars and all, come back to God. And he invites us to return. Notice, notice well that the Bible tells us God revives. He revives. So I've said God heals. Now notice well God revives. Let's go to verse 2. The Bible says, he will revive us after two days, and on the third day, he will raise us up so we can live in his presence. I love this. He will revive us after two days. On the third day, he will raise us up. Has God ever done that? Has he ever, has he ever caused someone on the third day to rise up? Yeah. God is in the business of raising the dead. That's what he does. The Lord Jesus, I don't want to ever forget that Jesus died on the cross that he sacrificed his lifeblood for me, that he took my sins upon himself on the cross and he died in my place. But I, how grateful to know he would, he would rise from the dead and that he is alive and he did that for us. He didn't stay in the grave, but he provided that miracle that is for us. And God revives. And some of you here, need, you need revival. God revives us. By the way, revive is a revive. So it's talking about life. It's talking about believers who have been vibed. That's about life. And revived, re-experiencing life. God is saying, you who have experienced God's presence, those of you who have trusted Christ as Savior, maybe you've drifted from God 
or run from God or ignore God. God revives and he brings life back to us. That's what God does. He specializes in raising the dead. God is able to do that. And so in this in our Western world, Christianity and much of the Western world is, has run from God, ignored God, spiritual death and lack of vibrancy. And God is saying, I can bring revival. I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel sometimes discouraged by our culture. I just see uh, so much of our Western world, so much of our own country that just is going in the wrong direction spiritually and running from God and fighting against God and ignoring God and arguing with God, and it can be discouraging. I don't know if you ever feel this way, but the culture as a whole is not following the Lord, and I would be fully discouraged except for the fact that I know there's a God who raises the dead, and in the history of our country have come some times of great revival right on the heels of some times of terrible spiritual depth, uh, death and, and the culture going the wrong direction, and in the middle of that God has revived the church and Christians who have been vibed, people who have known the Lord as Savior, experience revival. People who are praying, people who are seeking God, people who are coming back to God, and God brings revival. And God can do that in the life of believers. And when He does, there's an awakening. And it affects the, it can't help but affect the world around us when we experience God's presence again, when we experience revival. And God brings life to us when we come back to Him, and God uses that to revive others. The Bible says we can live in His presence, verse 2 says. I'm thankful for the revival God gives. So God heals, God revives, and God responds, the Bible says. Verse 3 says, let's strive to know the Lord. Did you know we can know God? Not just know about God. Not just know about God. As though the goal of life was for us to be able to play uh, some sort of Bible trivia pursuit in a better way. You know, that's, it's more than that. God wants us to know about Him because He wants us to know Him. We don't just learn the Bible so we know about the Bible, but that, that through the Bible we know God Himself. God wants that for you. He invites you to come back to Him, not just to come back to knowing the things about Him, but to know Him personally. And you can know God. In salvation, the Bible says we are adopted into his family. He becomes our father. That's how deep that relationship is. We can know God. Uh, the Bible says in verse 3, let's strive to know the Lord. His appearance is as sure as the dawn. It's reminding us God is dependable. Um, the sun came up this morning. Early this morning, it's the time of year when the daylight begins really early in the morning. And I saw the sun just beginning to come up and a little bit more light and a little bit more light and the birds start singing. Man, it'll happen tomorrow. The sun will come up tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar. Uh, I mean, it's, the, it happens day by day. It's pretty dependable. And the Bible says the Lord, his, his appearance is as sure as the dawn. God is dependable. You can't always count on circumstances. You can't always count on them. And you can't even always count on other people. And you can't even always count on yourself. But you can always count on the Lord. I mean, just like every day the sun appears, every day 
The Lord is so trustworthy and dependable, even when we're not, and even when the world isn't, and even when circumstances aren't. The Bible says we can know God, and He is dependable, and He responds to us. Verse 3 says He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. Our region is so, man, we have rain so much more regularly. It's why part of why crops can do so well here. But in a desert land, you can imagine how after a long period of drought, sometimes that happens here. We'll have drought and summer gets really hot and the cracks in the ground. And then that rain comes in a desert land. It's just counting on the spring rains. It's the only way the crops can make it. It's the only way the livestock can survive. And the Lord is like that for us. He will come to us like the rain, like the spring showers that water the land. God responds. When we come back to the Lord, we find He is already bubbling up that desire deep within us. Some of you are here because God's been bubbling up in you. I want you to come back. You can come back home. You've drifted from me or you've run from me. And God's saying, you can come home. And He invites us to. The God who heals and the God who revives and the, the God who responds, He invites us to return home. Don't ever forget you can come back. There's a second principle I want you to note. Not only does God invite us to return, but God calls us to repent. God calls us to repent. And repentance is a word and a concept that's mentioned many times in the Bible, many times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I want you to see what repentance is and what it isn't. Can I tell you that repentance is not just feeling sorry for something? It's not just feeling sorry. Remorse is helpful, but it's not the end of repentance. You can feel sorry for something and continue to do it over and over again. You can feel sorry about something that you continue the pattern. But, but repentance is a change of direction. So to return to the Lord, God is saying, you're going the wrong way. And if you're going to return, you're going to have to change direction and come back. That's repentance. If you want to return to the Lord, it means you've drifted from God or run from God. And he's saying you have to change direction and come back. Not just feel sorry, though God often uses godly sorrow in our lives. He uses remorse. But he's saying, I want you to change direction. And so let's talk about three words here from this text that remind us about what it means to repent and what God wants from us. And, and if, you, if you just write these three words down, they'll be helpful for you as we think about coming back, returning to the Lord. The first word I want you to write down is the word consistency. Consistency. Let's go to verse 4 and 5. God asks the question, what am I going to do with you, Ephraim? What am I going to do with you, Judah? And, of course, he might say that about, what am I going to do with you, FBCO? Or, or insert your own name. What am I going to do with you? He said, your love is like the morning mist and like the early dew that vanishes. Well, this time of year, we, I mean, we see this happen easily. It's, it gets cool in the evening, and there's dew on the ground. And even if it hasn't rained, you walk out through your yard, and there's just you, your feet are all wet because the dew comes. But it's, as the day moves along on a sunny day, it begins to burn off all the dew. It, just, it, it evaporates, and it's gone. And the Lord is saying, your love's like that. I mean, you love me for a little while. It's sort of like Gomer, isn't it? Gomer probably, I mean, she must have loved Hosea to some extent. She married the man, but then it didn't last, and she chases something else. We're a lot like that. God says, come follow me, and we say, yes, I'm going to follow you, and 
I recognize the love you have for me, and I love you, back. I love you, Lord, and I'm going to follow you. And then we, like the dew, we just it sort of it burns out in our life, and we forget who God is, and we're the next thing we know, we're far from the Lord. The Lord is reminding us of this important spiritual concept of consistency. So undervalued. Notice how the Bible says it here in, in verse 5. That is why I've used the prophets to cut them down. I've killed them with the words from my mouth. My judgment strikes like lightning. God's saying, I'm using these things to remind you of consistency. It's sort of like exercise. I, I don't, um, you, some of you go to a gym or something. I don't, I don't go to, I exercise at home. I don't go to a gym. I always say I humiliate myself in public enough. I mean, that's enough. I'll just, so I just work out at home. Well, you, you might be, you might say like many people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in shape. Come uh, end of the year, and January 1st in particular, people will say, I am going to get in shape this year. I'm going to exercise. And they mean it. And they go work out. Because they haven't worked out, I mean, they just get serious and they just work out that whatever day it is, early January, and just like crazy. And the next day they can hardly move. They're so sore and tired. And they say, I need to take a day off. And that day off turns into the next year when they repeat that same cycle. And I said, if you don't, you know, if you don't have some consistency in exercise, you just, all you end up with is sore. That's all you get, just sore spiritually, spiritual growth takes some consistency. It can't be like the dew in the morning and I just, you know, follow the Lord on occasion or when I feel like it, when it's convenient. But it's that day by day by day by day. That's why there's something powerful about attending church consistently, getting in a life group consistently, reading the Bible for yourself. We say here, read your Bible every day, at least five out of the seven days of the week. Read the Bible for yourself. Pray each day. Take personal ownership for your spiritual growth. There's a power to consistency. And there's a benefit that comes no other way than just that day-by-day consistency. I want to commend that to you in your life. And if you'll stay consistent, there's some benefits to consistency. I'm not trying to talk you out of reading long sections of God's Word or spending long periods of time in prayer. But there's a power to that day-by-day-by-day consistent walk with God. It's part of what repentance is, to say, God, I'm not just going to recognize that I'm going the wrong way, but I'm going to take the change of direction. I'm going to take a step this day and the next day and the next day. There's a second word I want you to write down. Would you write down the word authenticity? Authenticity. It's an important word, and I want you to go to an important verse, verse 6. The Bible says this, and this is the text. I love this. For I desire faithful love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Now, this must have sounded like crazy to Israel and to Judah, and maybe to you. I desire faithful love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God's saying, Israel, listen, I, I, don't, want, I, just, I don't want just your uh, sacrifice. And they think, that, that's, I thought that's all you wanted. So I go up to the temple on the Day of Atonement or the special days or when there's something really especially grievous in my life and I make a sacrifice. God said that's not it. Okay I'll go the burnt offering where I'm just a burnt offering that's a pleasing aroma to you and so I'll go do that and God says that's not it. Or you say we say I'll just give you my religious activity 
and I'll go to church on a Sunday morning, and I'll improve my moral behavior on the outside, and I'll try to, at least on the outside, I'll try to look better. And God's saying, that, no, I want, I want something more than religion or Sunday morning or some self-improvement. I want you, he's saying. I want faithful love. I want the knowledge of God. I want you. God wants you. Now, when he has you, he has all the rest. He has your Sunday morning, right? Just like he has your Saturday night. He has your religious activity because you realize how important it is. I talked last week about how crazy it is for us to say we don't need other believers as though the little finger could say, I don't need the body, how I don't need fellowship. God made us for fellowship. When God has you, he has your religious activity. When God has you, he has your moral behavior. Of course, God speaks to us often about how we act, what we say, what we do, how we think. But he wants you. God wants you. Because he wants the real thing. He wants authenticity. Not just what other people see. Not just what you allow other people to see in your life. God wants you, all of you. And not just the outside of you, but the inside, the soul, the heart. My grandma... um, Grandma Miller lived on a farm, and I was visiting Grandpa and Grandma there one time, and I remember just, this was a young boy, I just remember this moment that they had the old-style farm, a little bit of everything, and some milk cows and other animals and that sort of thing, and um, Grandma was, we had television on, we didn't have, the television was not on very often in their home, but it was on this particular occasion, probably just to pacify us kids who were staying with them or something, and, and there was a commercial came on, and it was a commercial for margarine. It's funny that I would remember this all those years ago. A commercial for margarine, and it said in the commercial that it tastes like real butter. And Grandma, who was very mild-mannered and calm and soft-spoken, got really worked up about that because she they made butter at home. I mean, they milked the cows, they made the butter, and she, she said, it does not, that is not butter, she said. I remember how adamant she was, and I, I wasn't even sure exactly what margarine was. I just knew it was, it was a fake. That's all I knew. That's all you've had, maybe. You, don't even, you think of butter as the fake, but margarine at one time was fake butter. And God is saying, I don't want you to, I don't want the fake you. I want you. So you can come here, and you can fool all kinds of people. You can put on the smile and let people see the outside. But God wants to reel you. Can I just tell you something? This is shocking. But God in heaven knows everything there is to know about you. You can't, like, you can fool other people, certainly, even fool yourself, but, but God knows you. All of it. The good and the bad. The ugly. The, he knows all of that. And he loves you. Now, he doesn't leave you where you are. But he loves you where you are. He doesn't leave you where you are. He loves you too much for that. He doesn't just say, okay, fine, do whatever you want. No, no, no. He loves you right where you are. You don't have to fake or pretend with God. He doesn't leave you there, but he loves you there. Can I tell you, too, there's nobody else here that thinks you're perfect. Nobody else here thinks you're perfect. Maybe grandma's here. Maybe she thinks you're perfect. But I mean, outside of grandma, nobody here thinks you're perfect. 
There's nobody here, can I tell you this? Nobody here who doesn't need to continue to grow spiritually. There's nobody here who knows all the answers about everything, who's got all this, their spiritual act together, who never has had a struggle, doesn't know what a problem is like. There's nobody like that. And so we don't come to this place, we don't have to come to this place pretending. God in heaven knows you where you are, and he loves you. And he wants you, not just the outside of you, not just the part people, other people see, but he wants you, and you matter to him. And so we don't, we, we want it to be something more than just religion or moral behavior or try to be a little nicer. We want you to follow and know the Lord. God, that's really a part of what repentance is. It's getting real with God. There's a third word I want you to write down. Would you write down the word reality? Reality. We never really understand repentance until we deal with reality. Verse 7 says, but they, like Adam, have violated the covenant. There they have betrayed me. He's saying, just like Adam, made for a relationship with God, made for fellowship with God, violated the covenant. Adam represents all of mankind even. We've all done the same thing, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. We've gone down that same path. Gilead, full of evildoers, he says. The band of priests on the road to Shechem commit atrocities, he says. Something horrible in the house of Israel. Ephraim's promiscuity is there. Israel is defiled. So we live in a day of uh, heroes. If you watch movies, there's a good guy and a bad guy. Sometimes they blur the lines in, in our generation, but often there's a good guy and a bad guy, and we relate to the good guy, the superhero. We're, the, we're like, we're smartest as a Tony Stark. We can... Um, kiss people upside down like Spider-Man. I don't know, whatever. We relate to the hero. That's the hero. And we're like the hero. And we see the story of Hosea, and we say we're like Hosea. And isn't it sad that poor Hosea had that terrible problem with the promiscuous wife? What a sad story. But can I tell you something? We're not just like Hosea, though certainly God uses that to teach us about the pain. But we're also, there's a little gomer in us too. And we say, God, I'm going to follow you. But like Gomer, we're not the hero of every story. God's, we will never repent until we deal with the reality of the need of our lives. And so God just says, man, be honest. Notice what, how this verse ends then. Verse 11, a harvest is also appointed for you, Judah, when I restore the fortunes of my people. Man. So God's saying, when you repent and you return. And I say, welcome. I want you to come back. And maybe God brought you to this place today to say to you, come on, come back home. I'm waiting for you. And I'm ready for you. And there'll never be a better time than now. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? Some of you, does this resonate with your heart? God's saying, I want you to return. And would you say, that's me? God, when you talk, Pastor, about uh, drifting, that's me. Hardly thinking about it, just drifting, that was me. Or when you talked about running from God, that's, man, that's me. Would you say, to God's invitation to return, we say yes.
Some of you here have never trusted Christ as Savior. Could I urge you to repent of your sins and place your trust in Jesus who died for you and rose from the grave for you and receive him as Savior and say yes to him? He'll save you. You can be born again, Jesus said. He'll do a work on the inside of you. Christian, maybe God's just dealing with you about coming home and he's just been reminding you, man, I know everything there is to know about you. There's no, I'm not under any illusions about any of the problems in your life, but I love you. You matter to me. And I'm calling you home. And if you'll say yes to him, you'll find a God who's welcoming and who cares and who restores. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of it, the truth it teaches us. Use it in our lives to do the work you want done. We'll give you the praise and the glory for what you'll do. Show us the truth about ourselves so that we see the truth of who we can be in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.